established in 2020. The Authors Porch is a space for authors who share their literary works of art. Founded by C.J. Ives Lopez, the Authors Porch puts authors first and becomes a premier destination for all at every level in their careers. When you join the Authors Porch, we want you to think of us as a beacon of light, bringing you home to a porch where your family is waiting to usher you into your greatness. From live cast to podcast, blog posts, and most recently, the magazine, the Authors Porch brings promotional services and advice to authors to get their writing published. Whatever the issue, the Authors Porch connects writers with the service desire to create their dreams into reality. Hey everybody, welcome to the Authors Porch where every great conversation happens and it happens because we trusted Brendan and Bomsey at Master Talk to show us the power of effective communication. We also make sure we have a great cup of coffee from Third Day Coffee Seguin, a Christ-centered veteran-owned coffee company. Today on the show, we have Tom Leibacher. How are you doing, Tom? Doing great, CJ. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. I, when I was given your book and your bio and everything, and I saw the book, I said, we've got to have Tom on before the holidays, because that book makes me think of one of the Hallmark holiday movies. And I was so intrigued. So I'm quite excited to have you and talk to you. But before we go into our full on, just joyous conversation, I want everyone else to learn a little bit about you. So I'm going to give a quick introduction if that's okay. Great. Thank you. Awesome. Guys, Tom Leibacher has lived in Briarcliff Manor, New York, for most of his life. After graduating from Briarcliff High School and then the University of Florida, he returned home and began a career in media and advertising sales business. He and his family lived in the tree streets and enjoy a rich life filled with church and community involvement and great friendships. He listens to Dr. Cook's Walk with the King broadcast each morning before for boarding a Manhattan-bound commuter train in Scarborough Station, passes through Law Park in the Pine Forest frequently, enjoys membership at Sleepy Hollow Country Club, stops for sunsets over the Hudson River, and once in a while can be found skating at one of the frozen ponds in town. After more than 35 years in the corporate world, a gift most rare is his first novel, and a summer sequel, I heard, will be ready soon. Yeah. So, like, your whole bio reads as a Hallmark Christmas movie. <laughs> we know the reason why uh, I referenced all those specific things, um, you know, sunsets over the Hudson and listening to Dr. Cook at 7 a.m. each morning. Uh, you know, Law Park walks with my dog through Law Park is because those are all settings for the story. And so... It was a way of sort of doing what I had to do to convey things about myself, but also uh, sort of teasing uh, different things that are found throughout the, the story itself. Oh, my goodness. I bet every indie published author, when they watch this podcast, is going to be like, okay, I need Tom writing my blurb right now. Like, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> because I, just reading your bio, I was like, I want to just... People watch him every day. <laughs> People watch him going about his life. Sounds really interesting. 
Well, I, I can say that I have been richly blessed. Uh, we live in a, a comfortable home. Um, we, we do live in the Tree Streets neighborhood of Briarcliff Manor. Um, I don't take that commuter train every day because of the pandemic, but until, uh, you know, the, the lockdown happened, uh, that was pretty much it every day going out of Scarborough Station up and down the Hudson Line. So um, I had a really wonderful train train line, even if, if even if I wasn't really in the mood to do work or if I was too tired to read the newspaper or whatever it might be, I could look out the window and see incredible scenery going in and out of the city. And uh, so it's been it's been good. And was was or has your life been kind of that inspiration for the story itself in the book? Uh, not exactly, although there are some interesting things that connect the, that notion. So um, the, the, the whole story behind Mr. Olson, this lonely, um, grief-stricken a person whose whose wife just recently passed away. That actually does come out of my own life's experience. Um, so going all the way back to probably about 1970, my buddies and I were in Law Park and we were playing ball. I can't remember what season it was. It might have been touch football. It might have been hockey. It might have been running bases. Um, but uh, one day we were there and we were doing our thing and we suddenly noticed that this elderly gentleman who we knew well came sort of stumbling into the park. He lived just, just down the street from it and, and he kind of collapsed onto a park bench and took out a handkerchief and sort of flipped it open and then took his glasses off and started dotting away um, tears. And we stopped and we watched this and we it, it kind of just shattered our hearts into a thousand pieces. Um, yeah. We knew what had happened. His wife was a very popular math teacher uh, that we all had had in elementary school, and she had suddenly just passed away. Hmm. So that actually was the, the, the beginning notion of, of this story. And, um, and so out of that memory, um, the story just kind of sprang to life. And so there is a little bit of a parallel there, but you know, the, the story is not autobiographical really okay. in any, in any way. Yeah. Now, can you tell us a little bit more about the story um, itself? Kind of give us some more background other than, you know, that part that you gave us. Yeah. So the story behind the story is actually kind of interesting. Um, Although I've always been employed in the advertising and media business, so I do a lot of writing every day at work, it's not really fiction. So the idea that a story for a fictional novel would come to me the way that this did is, is a very interesting thing in itself. Um, and as a matter of fact, when the, the idea first came to me, I kind of scoffed at it because it was kind of, the, the, the idea in my head was, well, what are you going to do with that? You, you write, but you don't really write fiction. Yeah. But the idea just kept with me and it kept on evolving. And finally, I got to the point where uh, I challenged myself. And um, the challenge was if I could write a prologue that would 
really capture uh, the spirit of that thing that we call the Christmas spirit. And that would transport the reader to maybe a warm, cozy living room with a mug of hot chocolate in their hands and the glow of Christmas lights in the background and frost on the window panes and their favorite, you know, grandmother or grandfather saying, now gather around children, I'm going to tell you a story of one Christmas when I was growing up in Briarcliff. If, if I could accomplish those things with the prologue, then I thought I'll give it a try. And uh, so I got on that commuter train one morning, started to write, and the most amazing thing happened. It, it started flowing so quickly that I could hardly keep up with the thoughts. I could hardly type fast enough onto my laptop. And so, um, so it, was, it was something that right from the beginning was really fun and, and uh, not hard to write at all. And um, the, the goal that I had going into it was to write a God-honoring Christmas story. As I've said many times already, I have nothing against Santa Claus or flying reindeer or toy-making elves. It's some of the nicest, most wonderful folklore that, you know, has ever been conceived of. However, it doesn't really connect with the essence of or the meaning of, of Christmas. And so I wanted to see if I could do this without sort of, 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 of uh, relying on that, that folklore that we all know and love so much. And so the main goal, again, was to write a God-honoring Christmas story. So the themes that are there throughout, caring for others that are in need, uh, looking to God and, and bringing God into our daily lives, um, you know, those are the kinds of themes that I wanted to try to work with. And, and that's how it, how it all began to, to happen. I find that beautiful because a lot of people forget what the uh, meaning of Christmas was and it's become commercialized, whereas a lot of people believe they should take um, Christ out of Christmas, whereas the purpose of Christmas was a religious holiday to begin with. And, and I myself um, don't celebrate religion. I celebrate faith myself which is different only because of here nor there anyways. Um, but I believe that the point in celebrating Christmas for me was always about my faith and my God and, you know, honoring the fact that it was very sacred to me in that, that point. Um, so I commend you for doing that and doing it in a very wholesome way and, uh, a way that it honors a very dear part of your heart. So my question, you know, it's funny because you said you never really, it wasn't something that you set out, you know, I want to be a fiction writer. It, it came to you and it, I love that you said it was pouring out of you. You couldn't <coughs> even keep up. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So, when you were growing up, I, I always ask people this question because it's always fascinating to hear. When you were growing up, what was your, what did you think of being? Did you want to be a, an advertising person, a corporate person, a fiction writer, maybe Santa Claus or <laughs> maybe somebody else? What did, what did Tom as a child want to be? Yeah. You know, oh gosh, that's, that's a question that I, I still uh, think about because it was so clear to me uh, when I was probably about 16 or 17 years old, it occurred to me that I really enjoyed being at school. 
Um, I enjoyed the school environment and everything that went with it, uh, all the classes, um, the sports. Uh, I was in the chorus productions and, and everything. And um, <coughs> excuse me, the uh, one of the only things that really ever came naturally to me was playing sports. Not that I was a superstar or anything like that, but um, I was uh, I was always able to participate, make the team, and uh, <coughs> excuse me. The so the goal I think back then was to become a teacher and a coach. That was what I wanted to do. I knew that was what I wanted to do with my life, but. In the middle and later part of the 1970s, which is when I was in high school, the need for teachers was really uh, shrinking because the school age population in America was going down. So I had to rethink um, what I was going to do with my life. And uh, my family was very close friends with another family here in Briarcliff, and uh, that was the McCaffrey family. And Mr. McCaffrey, um, was a giant in the world of advertising. Uh, he owned his own ad agency, McCaffrey McCall. He worked for David Ogilvy for many years as president of Ogilvy Mather. So he was a real giant from that golden age of, of advertising. And through conversations with him, um, I decided to change my plans. And then I majored in advertising and marketing. And, uh, and that was that. I've been involved in that business ever since. And it, it's great because I, I love how the world that we live in allows us to invent ourselves in a manner that fits us in the, the place that we are, right? I think the place that you wanted to be was not where you were supposed to be at that moment. Therefore, it moved you in a place where you needed to be so that later on when you wrote this book you were going to be able to put it where it needed to be because you understood the world that you do understand. Um, because what, what people don't understand is every part of your life leads you into a position that you are meant to be. And I, I, that's what I believe in. And I think, um, are you traditionally published or did you self-publish? Uh, it's a hybrid publisher called Christian Faith Publishing. Okay. So one of the things I've noticed, even traditionally published, hybrid, and or indie published, is you've got to do a lot of advertising and marketing yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that and this is the, the glory that is, you know, how life puts you in places that you're supposed to be. Had you have been that high school coach that you wanted to be and teacher, you would not have went into the world that you were in in order to write a book to bring people back to the meaning of what Christmas is and around the faith that you have and be able to understand that knowledge of advertising and marketing to get the book where it needs to be to bring people back to where they need to be. That's my thought process and how, you know, I think about things. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I love that. And I think it's, I think it, you're, you're right in so many ways. Um, uh, there was a lot of planning that had to be done, strategic planning, um, um, a lot of uh, projects within the project that had to be um, sort of uh, thought out and then tackled. And that's, those are things that I'm very used to from uh, 
being in, in that business world on, on Madison Avenue, so to speak. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think that, that um, even though uh, I'm not or wasn't a trained fiction writer, um, <clears throat> I'm not a stranger to taking on a writing project and yeah. thinking it through. And although the writing that I do is more promotions oriented and copywriting oriented, you know, mm -hmm. nonetheless, it, it, it's, there's parallels between that and writing fiction. And that actually was one of the really fun aspects of this is getting educated on, on how to write fiction and <laughs> learning uh, about how to nail down your roster of characters and, and uh, character arcs and learning about how to nail down your setting and learning about that thing called show don't tell which is a wonderful challenge that i'm not that great at yet but i'm, I'm still trying <laughs> i mean that was you know I, I remember after the first draft was written um and i was going through different editorial passes and then uh, i read an article about show don't tell and i i almost fainted because i thought oh no i told this whole story now i've got to go back and redo so many parts of each scene so that i'm i'm more like showing what's happening than telling and and that was not an easy challenge at first it still isn't easy but it's yeah. a challenge and and uh it it kind of to me it really is like it, it brings your intellect into it in a in a exhausting but challenging way mm -hmm. and and maybe at the end if if i'm able to to show don't tell a little bit better um uh, it feels like like maybe I did something a little more artistic rather than just, you know, putting those words down on paper like I would if I was in a copywriting mode. Yeah, I you know, I think what the most fascinating thing is, and I tell everyone that has written, a, I, I call, if, if you write literature in any way, shape or form, I call it a piece of art. And my thing is, is if you can bring someone into the pages of your book and make them go to a whole another world in their mind, you have magic in your hands. Whether you're typing it, writing it, you have magic. Yeah. You know, and agreed. It's yeah, beautiful. When, yeah, agreed. Yeah. So when let's talk about the summer one yeah. that you have coming out what what is that is it is it based off of this book is it kind of connected it is it really is so a gift most rare um you know the main character is charlie riverton and he's got this too good to be true heart and and uh he's got this visiting guardian angel that's full of je ne sais quoi and and all these wonderful characteristics um and that was uh, set at Christmas time in their, say, about sixth grade year. For the summer sequel, it's uh, two and a half years later, and now Charlie and his group of buddies are graduating the eighth grade. So they're in that period of time where it's school break. That's great. They're you know full of anticipation about that. But it's between middle school and, and then they have to go over to high school, to ninth grade, um, at the end of the summer. So they've got some anxiety about that. And what's really kind of fun, so it's 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 a real fun summer, you know, free rolling, free ride, um, yeah. where it talks about all the fun and silly things we did at that age group during school break. But what's really kind of fun also is um, while I was writing it, a 
a kind of an anti-bullying message just naturally began to come out of it. So, you know, we've all heard that these kinds of projects can kind of take on a life of their own. And I found that to be very true. Right. right? So with a gift most rare, the first book, you know, people ask me, what's the gift? And I say, well, you know, on the surface, it might be the gift of companionship, um, the gift of caring for others who are having a tough time. You know, more importantly, I would say it's the gift of redemption for these broken lives we live in this this fallen world, the gift of redemption for our mortal souls through the, the Christmas event. But with the second book, the theme that just started to emerge was this anti-bullying theme. And, and it really comes through at the end in a, in a, in a very, I think, fun and, and meaningful way. Um, and so... So yeah, it's the same cast of characters that are back, but this time they're on school break between their eighth and ninth grade years. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I like the the the, the whole a gift most rare because when you we think of it, there's 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 so many rare gifts in the world, you know. And when you you talk about the first one, which is the redemption of our our basically our our whole spirit through, you know, like you said, the, the Christmas and then this whole message of bullying and like this, this, the summer is where we all get this whole renewal of just our, our childhood. Right. When you, when you said you talked about the summer before, you know, middle school and high school, I looked back and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I remember I remember that summer yeah. Yeah. and this freedom and, oh, gosh. The real coming of age tale. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, again, um, the main characters are Charlie and his group of three or four buddies. Um, the guardian angel makes a visit, but in a different way from in the first book. Um, <clears throat> and there's mischief and hijinks that they get into throughout. Um but again, uh, uh, there's a there's a, a very I think kind of a a, a, a fun twist, if you will, <clears throat> that lets the story at the end become a very anti-bullying message. The um, there actually is a third that has been written and is going to mm -hmm. begin to go into editing, and this time uh, they're in their high school year. They're graduating. This one is called Victory Lap, and. Um, Interestingly enough, the theme that kind of rose up as I was writing that was a theme of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. So that's a really uh, great theme and an important theme to work with. And then uh, there's a fourth one, actually, that has been okay. out on and partially written um, called 42nd and Lex. And this is this is uh, when they're now out of college and they're starting their careers. 42nd and Lexington Avenue is where my office was when I was writing that. Uh, wow. And so it, it, that, that's why I pulled that title. But the, the, the theme there is perseverance, uh, keeping mm -hmm. the faith in God through difficult times. And so, but again, it's the same cast of characters. Um, one thing I definitely learned after A Gift Most Rare came out um, was that the main cast of characters, so Charlie and his group of buddies, as well as Sky, the visiting angel, really resonated with people. Um, if you look on the Amazon page where the book is featured, there's about 65 four and five star reviews, and a lot of them talk about um, how that that character, Skylar Northbridge, the, the visiting angel, really 
really, you know, resonated with, with the reader. And, and people talk a lot about Charlie as well. And so, you know, learning from my business career in advertising, when you've got mm -hmm. a formula that works, yeah. whatever you do, don't, uh, don't, don't change don't, it. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I mean, you might, you might tweak some things here and there when, when yeah. times change and stuff, but the, the overall meat and potatoes always stays the same, right? You might change a couple spices, but the meat and potatoes are always come from the same farm. <laughs> yeah. Great analogy. Yeah. Oh, you know, it, one of the things I love how you said was you kind of accidentally became a writer. It wasn't something you always thought that you were going to do. And I believe that stories pick the writer. Great stories pick the writer. The writer doesn't pick the stories, not when, not when it comes to great stories. Um, I, I wanted to be a writer since the seventh grade because my it was the first time anyone ever believed in me as a person and it was a teacher. And right. ever since then I said, I, I want to do that. I want to write that story that my teacher believed in me. And then I went on to write a lot of books, you know, a bunch of different books. And now I'm changing them. I'm rebranding and everything because the feel, the, what you said earlier, I lost my words here real quick. But anyways, um, the thing is, is I think the great stories pick, the writer. And I think it's very fascinating when that happens because you can feel the heart and the soul of the writer in the book, you know, versus just reading words on a page. And when I can read the heart and the soul on a page, I'm going to read more and I'm going to read more and I'm going to read it over versus just, oh, that was a good book. Boom, done, sorted over. Yeah. And you know, and, CJ, that, that is, you just hit on what I think is the single most enjoyable and worthwhile aspect of doing this is when you're literally pouring your heart out onto those pages with words that you've chosen and maybe wrestled with and changed five times over, um, that is, is such a good, thoroughly exhausting feeling um, that's, that's really, that's what I'm going for is to just pour my heart out and, and, uh, not letting one single word get onto that manuscript that isn't just right, you know? Yeah. So I agree with you. Yeah. So from somebody who a story chose you versus you chose what you were going to write. You were basically, you were sitting there and that story just scratched inside your head and said, Hey, Tom, I've got something for you. I need you to give this to the world. And now you've got, you know, you're, you're on book four. You, you've worked in the advertising and marketing field. So you understand, you know, how these things work. What would you tell fellow, fellow authors out there that have a story that scratches into their head, or maybe they're just, they're making their own stories. What would you, what advice would you give to them? Well, I would say that if you do have a notion for a story, don't ignore it, write it down. Even if you're not in a position where you can actually challenge yourself to do something with it right then and there, write it down, let it resonate. And then once you get to a point where you feel like like you can actually engage with that notion um then 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 just go with it and 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 it, whatever comes to your mind put it down on paper 
I, I've said this before, I, I threw in everything, including the kitchen sink into the original manuscript. Because some things that I thought were really silly at first, and someone's going to tell me, take that out, Tom, that's goofy and it doesn't belong there, ended up being really popular chapters. Other parts that I thought, you know, um, should get downplayed, uh, or maybe that I thought was so good, you know, people said, yeah, maybe not so much. But the other thing that I would say, and I, this is not, this is advice from an article I read at the very beginning, because I thought, how am I going to, maybe I can write a short story, but a novel, me, how am I going to do that? And then I, I read an article and, and this published author said, hey, if you're intimidated by the idea of writing a novel, um, think of it this way. If you can simply just write one paragraph per day, at the end of a year, you'll have a body of work. And that wow. stuck with me because, you know, I mean, I didn't really ever have any trouble being motivated to write. And, and I can honestly say there was never a time when I couldn't when I couldn't say that I wish I could be writing, no matter what I might have been doing. But at the same time, it's, you know, pretty intimidating to sit down with a blank page and go, I got to come up with 85,000 more words. And where's that going to come from? Um, but but yeah, if you can write just one paragraph a day, if that's all you've got, just keep doing that. And at the end of a year, you'll have a body of work. That's great advice. I never thought of breaking it into chunks like that. I just wait for something in my head to talk to me and tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can honestly say that, that once I got into the writing process, um, it really did take on a life of its own. I started off and I, when I had this idea, I jotted down about eight bullet points, sentence fragments for ideas that I thought could be developed into chapters. And then I started, you know, fleshing them out. <clears throat> and then the next thing I knew, I had ideas for more chapters. So I'd have to go back to that original list, add in some more bullet points. And it went from eight or 10 initially to maybe 12 or 15. And I thought, wow, this is kind of, interesting and then the next thing i knew there were 18 or 20 bullet points and i thought what where's that coming from then it was 22 23 25 and and i think it got up to about 28 and i said well there can't be any more ideas for more chapters next thing i knew it was 30 and wow. then it was 32 i ended up with 34 chapters and about eighty-five thousand words and so it really does take on a life of its own and if you can just sort of follow it and write just keep writing every day if you can. And, uh, you know, when you're writing dialogue, for example, um, I got to know the characters in this book so well that I can honestly say that, that when it came to writing dialogue after a while, it was almost like I was just taking dictation. I didn't even have to think about what these individuals would say or how they'd respond in any given situation. It, it really was almost like uh, taking taking dictation, you know, hearing their voices and just writing down what they were saying. So it's really a fun process not to be feared or intimidated by uh, if you can just jot down those ideas and then dive in. And, uh, you know, if, if the experience is like what I've had, it will it will help write itself. It will help. It will take on a life of its own. Great advice. Where yeah. can people get a copy of your book? It's available on Amazon. It's available on uh, barnesandnoble.com, walmart.com, 
Um, my website is www.tomleibacher.com. Uh, there's a purchase page there, so you can visit there and see a little more about the book. There's a video. Uh, there's uh, reviews. Um, uh, you can leave some comments. There's a little bit about the sequel to be coming out in probably about two months. Um, so there's that as well. Awesome. Well, I'm going to hand it over to you, Tom, for any last uh, words that you have about the book, about yourself, anything you have upcoming that you want to share with the guests and audience before we head out for the night and play with our dogs that we talked about before we got on live. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'm very grateful to be chatting with you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Um, this whole process has been so much fun. Um, uh, and, and, and I, 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 I just, I just really enjoyed it immensely. And I hope that anybody out there, as we were just talking about, that uh, is interested in writing, that it, you know, just put one foot in front of the other, and um, and it will happen. In terms of if anybody out there is looking for uh, a heartwarming, traditional values kind of a Christmas story, I hope this might uh, be something that will fit that for you, and. Um, and, uh, you know, again, my website is, is www.tomleibacher.com. Feel free if anybody wants to reach out, ask questions. I'll be glad to uh, correspond anytime. Yeah, thanks so much, Tom. Thanks for being here tonight and bringing back um, the traditional version of Christmas and giving us a, a feel of... I mean, to me, it felt like a Hallmark Christmas story. I know it's not officially one, but hey, maybe we'll see it over on the big screen one day. You never know. But it's a the from the beautiful cover to everything about it, it just sounds absolutely heartwarming. And I knew that I had to had to talk to you before Christmas came about because I want to read it before Christmas comes so I can just lay down and just feel all of it because Christmas was my grandma's favorite time of year. It was where we bonded in uh, 2010. Um, my grandma passed. She was 89 years old. So I still absolutely love it. And I feel even closer to her um, during Christmas time. So anytime I get an opportunity to have something that brings back Christmas to me I'm all over it. So thank you so much. So glad that I got to talk to you tonight, guys. Um, don't forget to come back each week and watch us live on the podcast or right here on Facebook. You can also ask Siri or Alexa to play our latest episode, head to our website, catch our latest issue of the magazine and blog posts. We want to continue making the author's dreams come true and provide them a platform to shine. We will see you guys next time. If you appreciate the conversations like we do and want to become a better speaker, visit our friends at Brendan and Bomsey of Master Talk, where they teach you how to use proper, uh, how to, not proper, how to use the power of your voice. Uh, don't forget to stay awake with a nice cup of coffee from Third Day Coffee Seguin, the best cup of coffee on this side of heaven. I'm here to tell you it surely is. Until next time, my friends, I'm CJ. There's Tom. Go read his book and we'll see you guys next time. Dr. Court is a certified veteran hosted podcast. Show your support. Tune in, share, and subscribe.